You may be seated. We've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and we're closing in on the end of it. One more sermon next week, and we will wrap the Lord's Prayer up. And then we'll actually begin a series on the Gospel of Luke, uh, a series that will be a long series as we work our way through that Gospel and and look at the life of, of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. I look forward to getting into that series with you and and following through the gospel as uh, as given to us by the good Dr. Luke. Um, but today we are still in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, during the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, remember, uh, those were all directed toward God. And then the second three were all more uh, concerned with, with ourselves and how we relate to God, how we live out our life as followers of God. Uh, If we look at those last three that deal with us and our living day to day, we see that one of them has a present emphasis. Give us this day our daily bread. One of them has, has a past emphasis. Forgive us our debts, those debts that we've already accrued that are behind us. And then today we look at the third petition, which has a future emphasis. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray this because we know all too well that temptation and evil are very real things. We know because we experience them day by day as we come face to face with them. We know because we are involved with them day by day. And as we look at this petition, we consider this morning, first of all, three things that do indeed lead us into temptation and evil. And then two things that will help us avoid them. Before we look at those, though, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning that we might... In looking to your word, hear your voice. And that in hearing your voice, we might be conformed to the likeness of Christ Jesus. That we might see the beauty of his grace and his goodness and his glory. And that we might be made more like him through the power of your word. Be honored and glorified in all that is said here. Lead us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. October 14th, 1987, in Midland, Texas, perhaps you remember the story. It was all over the news. A little girl, 18 months old, named Jessica McClure, was playing in her aunt's backyard when all of a sudden she fell into a well in the backyard and fell deep down into this well and became stuck in it. She was in the 8-inch well casing, 22 feet below the ground, and, and what firefighters thought would be a quick and easy rescue turned out to be anything but. And the first day turned into the second day, and the second day turned into a third day, day and media coverage swarmed from all over and and 
it became somewhat of a, of a media circus even as, as everybody descended upon Midland, Texas for the story of the baby stuck in the well. Well, they finally were able to save Jessica after 58 hours in the well by digging a, a trench going down deep into the ground and then digging across to where she was. It took so long uh, for, for any number of reasons, dealing with engineering and, and the equipment not really being made to go in that direction. And, but eventually, a paramedic, two paramedics actually, went down and the other shaft were able to come across. They were able to bring her out. And, and it took hours, actually, to, to just get her out, even once they had reached her, once they had, once they had grabbed her and seized her for themselves, once they had pulled her to themselves. It still took hours to get back out through the escape uh, the escape way, but, but escape they did with her. And she was saved, having, having been seized to them and brought out and delivered back to her family. Jessica had just been playing. It was an ordinary day. It wasn't anything special. She certainly, as an 18-month-old, really was completely unaware of any danger that had been there for her, but there was indeed great danger that could befall her and danger that did befall her. And the fact that she was ignorant of that danger was itself very dangerous. In fact, life-threatening. I fear that in much the same way for us as Christians, our ignorance of the danger that could befall us, of the the traps and the, the holes into which we might fall, our ignorance of them and our, our neglecting their very presence likewise can be dangerous in our lives. We so easily ignore their presence, we so easily underestimate the damage that they can do to us. And I think that this petition speaks to that fact. It helps us not to make that sometimes fatal error. In looking at it, I, I want to clear up a couple of the phrases, a couple of the words that are used. Uh, for, first, we, we talk about the word deliver here. And, and deliver, in, in our understanding, can have all kinds of different meanings, of course. But, but when we see the word deliver used here in this petition of the prayer, we need to understand, uh, as one commentator put it, the word for deliver... Uh, he said snatch is almost uh, a violent synonym, is, is a very strong word. It suggests that the evil one is constantly luring us toward his mines and pits and that, the, that only the father's constant and more powerful snatching, seizing, and rescuing uh, can free us from destruction. You see, only the fact that there is a stronger, more powerful one who is seeking to seize us, seeking to pull us to himself, enables us to, to avoid and escape those pitfalls that Satan has set for us. Secondly, I want to just mention the word temptation. The word tempt uh, is a word that, in the Greek, the word perazo, it actually can mean either tempt or test. 
And so it's kind of difficult because we have to figure out which, which one it's talking about in, in each section that we see it. Uh, in James 1, for instance, it says that God tempts nobody. But then in Luke 4, where we, we just read earlier, it said how the, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness that he might be tempted. Uh, and, and, and so we, we've got to figure out what it means and how, how can it mean the one and not the other. And, and I think what happens there, basically, is the idea that through testing, what God is trying to do, and see, we, we have trouble with this because we think of testing, and, and if you're anything... You know, like most people, I think that you, you hear the word test, and you kind of freeze up. Oh, my goodness. Because a test is something that we might fail. And that's, that's a problem. But see, when God talks about testing, he's not talking about it in that way. I think a temptation perhaps leads us that way. But when we look at the places where God talks about testing, we think of Abraham in Genesis 22 where he was tested by God when he was called to offer up his son. And he succeeded. We think of 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7 speaks about it. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved with various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in James 1, indeed, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You see, the testing is, is proving something to be worthy. It's proving it to be sufficient, proving it to be strong enough or good enough or right enough. That's really what the idea is behind a test. When, when you take a test in school, your teachers aren't trying to trip you up and make you look bad. No, they, they want to see what you know, and, and their hope is to prove that you know the materials. That's the goal of a test. The goal of a test is to show that you have the right answers, that you have the knowledge, that you are, you are capable in that subject matter. Now, I, I as a student, I was not a great student. I was probably a slightly above average student. My wife was a great student, you know, so, so, you know, if you want to be a good student, be like her, study hard, do well. But here's what I was good at. The one thing I was really good at, and I'm not exactly sure why, I've got a couple of theories, maybe it, it was standardized tests. If you gave me a standardized test, I was great. It might have been because, you know, some people just get really nervous when they're tested, and I, I never got nervous at them. It could be because I was just a really good guesser, right? You know, if you have, you know, I, I tell you, if you don't know the answer, go with C, and that will save your bacon almost every time. C. Unless it's true-false, then don't go with C. That's not, but that's another topic altogether. But for whatever reason, I actually looked forward to these standardized tests when I was in school because I knew I could do well on them. I knew that even though, even though my grade point average might be a lot lower than someone like Aaron's, when I took those tests, I could shine. People would look, wow, I did great on that. You see, I wasn't worried about those tests. I, I looked forward to those tests. Tests were a good thing because they were an opportunity to do well. 
And that's how God is talking about tests when he talks about testing our faith. He's not hoping to trip us up. Now Satan, on the other hand, is. Satan wants to use what God has a test for you, and he wants to turn that test into a temptation. He wants to turn that around. He wants to trip you up. He wants you to fall. He wants you to fail. But that is not God's intent for you. Now, I'm not saying we should go looking for these tests. Uh, we, we, we will be in the midst of them, though. We will find ourselves in the midst of them. And when we do, we should be having the attitude of, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to see the power of God active in my life, doing mighty things to his glory. What a blessing. What an opportunity. All that being said, I had mentioned we were going to talk about three sources of temptation. And first of all, like I said, Satan. Satan is one of those sources of translation. When we, it says uh, uh, evil here, when it talks about evil in the prayer, um, it's actually... In, in some translations, says the evil one. It doesn't just say evil, but the evil one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that would actually be a proper translation. There's nothing wrong with that translation from the Greek. And certainly whether it is intended to mean that directly, it certainly means that in a sense, and that the evil one is the one who leads us into evil. You know, sometimes we, we joke about saying, you know, you know we, we just heard a wonderful statistic, not a wonderful statistic, but a, an enlightening statistic, that 40% of Christians don't even believe that Satan exists. Uh, oftentimes we see that play out in things like the fact that we, we joke about the devil. You know, on Halloween, uh, people wear costumes, right, with red horns and a pitchfork. Ha, 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 ha. And Flip Wilson, you know, in days gone by, joked about how the devil made me do it. Or, or maybe for a younger generation, you grew up on Saturday Night Live and the church lady and her pointing to the fact that perhaps it was Satan. We joke, we laugh. But Satan is no laughing matter. Satan is, as we heard from 1 Peter 5, a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. Satan is the great dragon of Revelation. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And, and we need to be aware of his, his cunningness, his, his subtlety. He is the, the serpent who disguises himself as an angel of light. You see, just because we see things and they look good, just because we think they look attractive, that doesn't mean that they are right and good. For Satan disguises himself in that way. We need to be aware. We need to be alert. We need to be on our toes. And we need the word of God. Because it points us in the way of Christ Jesus. And it is the way by which we can protect ourselves from Satan's strength. It is only through the word that we can do that. Secondly, a source of temptation, the world, the world around us. I mean, just look around. We, we live in what sociologists call a post-Christian culture. You know, once upon a time the, that seemed that the morals, the ethics, the, the culture was shaped basically by a Christian understanding. Even if people didn't 
know Christ and know about his person and his work, uh, they, even if they weren't even self-professed Christians, largely the morals and ethics of our culture were shaped by what is in the Bible, by Christian uh, morality. It's not the case anymore. You look at our world around us and you see that there is a general consensus, but it is not the biblical consensus. We are, we are outsiders as Christians. We are a vast minority, even if a majority of people might call themselves Christians. Uh, and I'm not saying they are or they aren't, but the reality is the morality of our culture is anything but Christian. It is quickly slipping away from a biblical standard and heading in the opposite direction. And, and we need to be careful that we are not swept up in it. It is so easy, if you've ever been in the ocean, to go out in the ocean. You've got your, your beach chairs and a blanket set up, and you go out and play in the ocean, maybe 50 yards out, 25 yards out maybe, and you're playing around and you spend 20 minutes out in the water just splashing around in the waves, having fun, not paying attention to anything. And then you look up and see that where your chairs and your blanket were set up, it's... 75 yards or 100 yards down the beach from where you are. You didn't notice it, but just the waves coming generally cause you to, to gently and bit by bit and bit by bit slip down the beach until you look up and you're nowhere near where you started. And I fear that if the waters of this world are to be the ocean in whose waves we swim, it will take steadfast and wearying effort on our part to keep from drifting into sinfulness and temptation. We need to strive to be faithful. Otherwise, we'll drift into unfaithfulness. Now, indeed, we must be aware of the devil's schemes and we must be aware of the world's temptations. But more than anything else, we have to be weary of one thing. And that is ourselves. We must be weary of our own flesh, our own heart, our own intentions. In James 1, we read, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. By God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when He is lured and enticed by His own desire. That's where sin comes from. It comes from our hearts. The temptations come from our, our hearts. We desire those things. This echoes what Jesus said in Mark 7. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. For after all, as Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? John Calvin put it this way. He said that the heart's a veritable idol factory, seeking to create idols for us to worship in the place of God. See, we, we need not so much education in the way we should go, although we need that, 
And it's not just training in righteousness, although we need that as well. What we need more than anything else is a heart transplant. We need a new heart. We have a dead heart. And need a new heart through Christ Jesus. I like the way Alistair Begg put it. He said, every time that you and I sin, it is an inside job. So true. So true. So what are we to do about this? What are we to do about this? If, if Satan and all of his power is against me, the world is, is tilted against me, and even my own heart is against me. Well, we have two means of help that I see here. One is prayer. That's what this passage is all about, after all. Prayer. One of the reasons we pray is because we know we're up against it. We know we can't do it on our own. We know that we lack something, and so we go to God in prayer. We say, give us this day our daily bread because we need nourishment. We say, forgive us our debts because we need forgiveness. And we say, deliver us from evil because we need deliverance. So we pray, and and Calvin says, as we demonstrate in this last request, that no one can be rated a Christian who does not admit that he is tangled up with sin, so we deduce from this one that our powers are not adequate to living well, except as God supplements them. You see, consider the, the basic construction of this petition. It says, lead us not into temptation. If I'm walking down the hall and I pass by a door, I can either open the door and enter into that room or I can pass by. Or if I'm, I'm driving down the highway, down the interstate, driving along and there's an exit leading into a city, I can either exit and go into the city or I can pass by it. When we pray here, lead us not into temptation. In effect, what that is saying is, lead us past it. It's saying as, as we drive down the road of life, and we come to an exit that leads into the city of sin, Lord, do not let me turn my steering wheel in that direction. Strengthen me, empower me, direct me, guide me, that I might go on. You know, we, the GPS devices and such that tell you, you know, exit at the next exit or go forward. You know, God is, is, is like, in his word, he's given us the, the best of GPS systems, the best of map quests, the best of whatever you want to call those that, that will direct us in the way we should go. We need only follow the directions. Strengthen me, Lord. Fortify me that I might not take the wrong exit. And 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape 
that you may be able to endure it. There is no temptation that is just a dead-end road, right? Where you've come to the end of that road and there's nowhere to go and you're stuck and, and there's nothing you can do but sin. He says, no, he will provide a way out. There will always be a way that you can get out of sin. Never just give up and say, there's nothing I can do. I'm just giving myself over to temptation. No, there will always be a way out by the power of God. And so we pray that he would lead us, that he would direct us, and that it might end up only being a test by which we prove his goodness to us and our faithfulness to him. Temptation can be dangerous, though, and far too often we rush headlong into it, don't we? We should order our lives in such a way as to avoid temptation. Otherwise, this prayer is not sincere. It's one thing to say, uh, you know, I, I really know I need to lose some weight, so I, I don't want to eat any more candy bars ever again, but then I go to Sam's and I buy the big bulk candy bar thing and put it in my pantry. Uh, I'm not very sincere in my desire, am I? If we are to say that we desire God to lead us out of temptation, then we must order our lives in a way that befits that. What does that look like? Well, Scripture tells us repeatedly, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, flee temptation, flee sin, get away from it, know where your weaknesses are, and avoid doing battle in those places like a wise general would would know that, that we don't want to do battle at our weakest point. So if we're being attacked in that spot, retreat. Retreat from that spot and fight the battle somewhere else. Or even better, avoid the temptation altogether if it's within your power. Avoid it altogether. Don't put yourself in places and in contexts where you know you will sin. Don't, don't think that this will be easy, but it is possible. It is possible to stand up under temptation with Christ. That's the second thing. That's the most important thing. Jesus. Jesus. It's not within our own ability to withstand the devil's wiles, to to overcome the tiltedness of the world, to, to defeat our own heart. But through Jesus we can remember, Christian, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And in Christ Jesus we have a great high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses for he in every respect has been tempted as we were and he did so without sin and he dwells within us and his power is within us if we trust in him by faith So in short, what we need to do is we need to equip ourselves. Equip ourselves for it. We do that, Ephesians 6 tells us, with the armor of God. In closing, I just want to share this passage with you. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, 
having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In doing this, we can, through trials, learn to trust God. Through trials, we can grow in faith. And through trials, we can gain the experience of God's faithfulness that we can share with others. And just like Jessa McClure, who today can tell the story of how she was once rescued, we too can tell the story of how we have been rescued by Christ Jesus, he who died for our sins on the cross, he who dwells within us by his spirit, he who enables us to withstand temptation and to live holy lives to his glory. Amen. Our Lord, thank you for the fact that Christ Jesus does dwell in each of us who trusts in him. Thank you that we have his strength and not just our own, that you are our fortress, our stronghold, and that by your power, we might stand under even the greatest of tests. We thank you for your faithful presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise now and sing our closing.